We've been in the book of Romans, and as I said, we're going to take a break, three weeks, to review what is our mission and what is our ministry structure. Today, I want to ask the question, why do we exist as a local church? What is the local church? What is the mission of South Shore Bible Church? Does anyone want to try and answer that? Why do we exist as a church? What's our mission? Right, to know God and make him known. That's, that's on our sign, I think. That, that's a way in which we've tried to capture what our mission is. We want to know God and we want to make God known. In other words, we want to fulfill the great commission. And so if you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. There are so many churches that spend a lot of time a lot of energy. I myself have been a part of this. And then I realized one day that all the time and energy that goes into trying to come up with a catchy mission statement doesn't make any biblical sense. If we agree that Jesus Christ is the head of the church, well then it's him. He gives us the mission. He tells us why we exist. He is the one that has called us together. He is the one that commissions us. Therefore, we have no right. We have no right whatsoever to come up with our own mission statement. And in fact, it's my personal conviction that every mission statement for every local church over all the face of the earth should be exactly the same. There is no room for creativity when it comes to establishing the mission of the church. Because Jesus Christ gives us the mission. And where does he give us the mission? He gives us the mission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. So would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This is an exciting passage because it tells us why we're here. It tells us what we're supposed to do. It tells us what our mission is. This is called the Great Commission. Those aren't biblical words, but that's a title that has been used for a long time, and it's appropriate. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. This is God's word. This is God's mission for the church. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Word of God. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you have given us a mission. We pray that you'd help us to fulfill it. Because we know that each one of us will have to give an account as we stand before you for how we fulfilled the mission that you have given to us. And as an elder among elders, I know that we elders are doubly responsible that you will hold us to a higher account as you ask us, did we equip the saints to fulfill this mission? At the end of this, you say that you are with us always to the end of the age, and I pray that you would fulfill your promise, as I know you will. Help us. 
Help us to be faithful to your word, to fulfill your mission given to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Why do we exist as a church? What's our mission? Well, it begins with a recognition of who Jesus is. Uh, The context for this passage is that Jesus has been crucified. And on the third day, as he promised, he was raised back to life. And now he calls his little band of, of disciples who are going to become apostles to go out and to convert the whole world. And Jesus started with 12. He lost one who betrayed him, which was foreknown by God, foreseen and predestined. But he gathers these 11 who are remaining, and he says, I want you to take over the world. So he calls them to a mountain. This reminds us of Moses going up the mountain to meet with God to get God's marching orders back in Exodus. Now God in the person of Jesus Christ calls his people up on the mountain and he says to them, this is what I want you to do. And you'll notice what they did right away. They worshiped him. Why do we exist? Well, our existence, our mission is contextualized in the reality of worship. We worship Jesus Christ as God. We are a worshiping people. We, we worship and love the Lord Jesus Christ, our God. Because it is only right to worship God. The fact that Jesus did not rebuke them is proof positive that he understood himself to be God. Jesus Christ is God with the Father and the Spirit, and we worship this one triune God. Now, some doubt it. Think. Matthew puts that in there, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to say that in every local church there'll be those who truly worship and those who don't. So we have to keep going. Not everyone at South Shore Bible Church is a true believer, a true worshiper. Uh, There's going to be those among us who might even be self-deceived and think that they're worshiping God and they're not. There'll be some who don't know whether or not they believe or not. We want to welcome all, but we call everyone to worship. Jesus Christ as God. Jesus then says, this uh, this is astounding to me, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's quite a statement. I am, in other words, all-powerful. I am the omnipotent God. I have full control, full power, full authority over everything that happens in the universe and in heaven. Every knee bows to me. There is no one greater than me. My name is greater than every name. That's a huge statement. And so we have to recognize the supremacy of Christ in the local church. And then Jesus continues and he says, and now this is what I want you to do. He's about to give us our mission. Jesus could have done anything with all his power and all of his authority. I just want us to stop and think of that for a moment. Jesus is all-powerful. He could do whatever he wants. Nobody could say no. Nobody could say that's not right. But what does Jesus choose to do with his power? To be sure, he wants to take over the world, but he doesn't choose to take over the world the way you and I might think the all-powerful God of the universe might want to do that. No, he doesn't come in a uh, militaristic apocalypse, not yet anyway. 
He says, I'm going to take over the world. My conquest is going to be one of bearing witness. Before we see exactly what he said, I want you to put yourself in that place. I want you to imagine for a moment that you saw him die. Maybe from a distance. Most of the apostles ran away. But they knew what was happening on Golgotha. They knew that Jesus Christ had been arrested. They knew that he had been scourged. They knew that he had been crucified with stakes put through his hands and his feet. They knew that that a crown of thorns had been put on his head. They heard that he had died and that a spear had gone into his side and water and blood had come out. And they wept and they grieved until the third day when Mary came running to them and said, The Lord is alive! Some of them doubted. Peter and John, they began to run. They ran, and they ran, and they got to the tomb, and it was empty. And then they were all gathered in the upper room that very day, and Jesus Christ, in in flesh, with a skeleton, and in glory, showed up, and they saw him. He said, touch me. It's me. Give me something to eat. I'm real. Just put yourself in that position. He says, I'm going to go away again, but I want you to meet me in Galilee. So they do. Now what must have been going through their minds as they anticipated, what will the Lord say to us when we get to Galilee? What is he going to tell us to do? What's going to happen? And they probably had these grand visions of the kingdom come. They they thought, this is the time. We're going to be given a position in the kingdom. We're going to be given great riches and power and glory probably weren't ready for what Jesus said to them. They were ready for the king to establish his kingdom in glory. So the all-powerful God of the universe and the person of Jesus Christ comes to them on the top of this mountain. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now, and you're those 11, you're like, yes, now, now, now I will show Caesar who's boss. Because they killed him and he's alive and he's going to give me great power. But then with all this power and authority, Jesus goes in a totally unexpected direction, doesn't he? He doesn't give them thrones. He doesn't give them riches. He doesn't give them authority over Rome or Egypt or all of the nations. In fact, the scriptures go on to say he sends them out as sheep among wolves. It's very unexpected. And this is the mission of the church. It's been the mission for 2,000 years, and we must pick up that torch that has been passed down generation after generation after generation. We pick up that torch to fulfill the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So what did he say? What's the mission? Three words. Go, baptize, teach. Go, baptize, teach. And the order is important. So let's take a look at this. These three words capture what it is that the head of the church, with all of his power and resurrected glory, wants us to do. He doesn't want us to take over Parliament Hill. He doesn't want us to take over the United Nations. 
He doesn't want us to overthrow our Rome, so to speak. He wants us to go. He wants us to baptize. And he wants us to teach. Let us keep our eyes on the ball. What is it that the Lord wants us to do? Go. Number one, we have to go. Go and, and then what? Go where? Go, go how? Go for what reason? Jesus answers that in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This command to go is to go and do something, to go and make disciples of, of whom? Of all nations. Don't restrict the gospel to, to Israel. Go to all nations. So for us, it's still the same. To all nations, don't keep it. Don't, don't huddle together in a holy huddle. Get out there. Get into the world and share the gospel. Make disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower learner. A follower learner. Uh, to, to make disciples is to go and find people to follow Jesus, to learn about Jesus. And so this, this idea that we go comes with it, this idea of proclamation. A proclamation of the gospel. And what is the gospel? If we're going to go, we better know what the gospel is. In short, I mean, the gospel is long. The gospel is the whole Bible, God's plan of redemption. But the gospel can be summarized fairly efficiently. Every human being has been born into the world as an enemy of God. We have all sinned. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. We sin. We rebel against God. We hate God. God can't put up with that. God will judge. He, a reckoning is coming. There is a day when all of the sin of the world will be dealt with. And because God is just, he must punish sin, and he must punish sinners. It's nice to say that God hates the sin but loves the sinner. It's only partially true. At the end of the day, for those who are not in Christ, God will punish not only their sin, but he will punish the sinner. That's the reality that this world is facing. But the gospel is that because God is more than simply just, he is just, but he is filled with love. He loves us, and so he sent forth his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is God, and Jesus is a man. He is both. And Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He was God's perfect covenant partner. Whereas we rebelled against God, Jesus Christ did not. So he lived a life in our place. He is our substitute, not only on the cross, but the life he lived. He lived unto righteousness for our sake. So that when we put our faith in Christ, all of his righteous deeds become ours. But then, the great trade. God takes the sin of the world, those who put their faith in Christ, he takes it from us and he puts it squarely in Jesus Christ and then he punishes our sin on the cross in the person of Christ. So everyone has a choice. Either pay for your sin yourself at the final judgment or let Jesus pay for your sin on the cross. If you pay for your own sin, you will go to hell. If you allow Jesus to pay for your sin, he went to hell for you. 
It's not difficult to understand, but it is difficult to receive. That's your choice. Pay for your own sin or let Jesus pay for your sin. The one leads to eternal condemnation. The other leads to resurrection and eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the message that we have. And part of our proclamation as we go is to say, though you will die, if you put your faith in Christ, Jesus will raise your bodies back to life. Let resurrection, bodily, physical resurrection, be a part of our proclamation because that, though it's difficult to believe, is good news and news that the world needs. Let us put our confidence in the gospel that though we die, if our faith is in Christ, our sin has been dealt with, we will be raised bodily from the dead, we will live forever with him. This idea of go and make disciples is very much an ancient idea. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God makes Adam and Eve in his image, and right away, he commissions them. And Jesus is not coming up with a brand new commission in Matthew 28. He is reiterating the original Adamic mandate or the, the commission given to Adam. Take a look at it here. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Well, let's just back up and read verse 27. So God created man, humanity, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, this is the commission given to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves along the earth. This commission that Jesus gave to the 11, that the 11 have passed down generation after generation, that lands squarely to us as we pick up our torch, is to go be fruitful and multiply. Just as Adam and Eve were to be fruitful and to multiply. Now with Adam and Eve in a pre-sin world, their multiplication was simple. It was biological. Uh, before there was sin, you produce more saints just by producing more people. But then they sinned in chapter 3. So now to be fruitful and multiply is a little bit more complicated. We need to multiply ourselves, but not merely biologically. We need to multiply disciples. People need to be born again, but there's still reproduction involved. And the imagery of being born again is exactly that, an image of reproduction. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth subdue it have dominion through the gospel it's interesting that this is exactly the commission that god gave to noah after god wiped out the earth and then he started over with one family and if we take a look at genesis 9 verse 1 god blessed noah and his sons and he said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and again in 9 verse 7, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And then in Genesis 11, 7 to 9, this is after the people built a tower of Babel. They didn't fulfill that because they were still sinful. So they huddled together in Babylon and they built a tower and they wouldn't go out and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So God comes down, verses 7 to 9. He says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. 
So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel or Babylon, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. When they were unwilling to be dispersed, the Lord dispersed them. And, and we see the great uh, reversal of this in Pentecost. God confused their languages here in Genesis 11. At Pentecost, he brought all of his people together, and they all understood the preaching of the gospel in their own language. Language is no longer going to be a barrier for God's people. But you know what? They still huddled in Jerusalem. So you know what God did? He brought a persecution to Jerusalem, and we're told in the book of Acts, because of that persecution, they were dispersed again. See, this is the pattern of God. He wants human beings to subdue the earth under the lordship of God, the lordship of Christ. So he wants us to multiply, to be fruitful, to spread out, but humanity is constantly huddling together. And isn't that our inclination? Our inclination is not to go, but to huddle. So just as he dispersed the people in Genesis 11, he disperses the people in the book of Acts. Then we get Acts 1.8, which is in our ministry structure. And Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God wants us to spread out. He wants us to go. To proclaim the gospel. To make disciples. So what does it mean for us to go? For the eleven, it was explicit. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's the city they were in. Judea and Samaria. That's the south and the north of the land of Israel, but not just there, to the ends of the earth. That's pretty simple for them, but what is our Jerusalem? What is our Judea and Samaria? What is the ends of the earth for us? Well, let's start with Jerusalem. What does it mean to go for those of us who are going to go and stay in Jerusalem? Let's start with our families. We need to fulfill this mission of the church, first of all, in the home. Dads, it is your Christ-given mission to lead your family biblically, to make disciples in the home. Mothers, it is your job, commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ, to help your husband with all of his strengths and weaknesses to fulfill the great commission in your home, to make disciples of your children so this can happen in so many different ways. Stay-at-home moms. Our world would tell you, our culture would tell you that that is a, uh, not an important job. That that is a second-rate calling or uh, vocation or way to spend your life. And I say that's, that's absolute garbage. That is a lie from the pits of hell. To stay at home, to fulfill the Great Commission... There's no greater thing that you could do with your life. It's as important as there is. And this manifests itself in different ways. There, there will be some uh, women who work and prioritize the home. There will be some who stay home. There will be some who homeschool 
And not every family is going to look the same. This is, this is between the, the husband and the wife to decide how are we going to fulfill the Great Commission in our home? Is homeschooling going to be a part of it? If it is, that's wonderful. Make disciples of your children as you teach them every subject. If your children go to a Christian school because you want them to grow up in, in a Christian education, that's a good decision too. And if you want your children to go to public school because you want them to be in the world and you're going to equip them and protect them from the home to be in the world from kindergarten or grade three or grade six, that's a good decision. There's, there's no rules here except this. You've been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to make disciples, to be fruitful and multiply believers of the Lord Jesus Christ in the home. How are you going to do it? And be honest with yourself. Are you making decisions because that's convenient, because it fulfills a, a need or desire outside of the Great Commission? Or are you making this decision absolutely because you want to be faithful to the call of Christ? We can lie to ourselves. But I want to validate and show how important it is for women to prioritize the home. It's biblical. And the health of the church, the health of our families, the health of our world is directly correlated to that. Fathers, same thing. You can't just be an absentee father. You have to take seriously God's mandate to you to lead and to equip in your home. So our Jerusalem starts in the home. Our Jerusalem also includes this local church. And we need a plan to reach Barry. We can't just huddle together in here. We're working on that. Duncan is our mission steward, and we're working on how are we going to get out there? How are we going to reach this city? But one way that we don't have to plan for is that each one of us has been given by God a particular sphere of influence. There are already people in your life, so go into that sphere of influence and make disciples at, at work, at school, and at play, uh, whether you're on a sports team or you have some other extracurricular uh, activity, or if you're in school outside of the home, or if you're working outside of the home, those are spheres of influence that God has given. So go into those spheres of influence and be bold for the gospel with wisdom. What is our Judea and Samaria? Well, it's Simcoe County, Ontario, and Canada. There might be someone here that is called to go north, perhaps to one of the native reserves or indigenous reserves, and to be a witness for Christ there. It, has that been put on anyone's heart? We'll bless you. We'll equip you. We'll, we will partner with you for you to do that. Or maybe uh, we're going to plant a church. God willing, within a few years, we will plant a church, and we're going to expand our influence. What is the ends of the earth for us? Well, literally, it's the ends of the earth. We need to be ready for God to call some of us away. It's hard to say goodbye, but some of us are going to get called away to go somewhere else. And I would say that I've recently had a very passionate heart for unreached people. There are people in this world who have never heard of Christ. Is there anyone here that the Lord is calling to go to them and to share the gospel? Don't push it down. 
If God is calling you to go somewhere else, you've got to go. And we will miss you, but we will send you. And not everyone is called to go, but every local church is called to either go or send. Uh, every person in the local church, we have to send some people, and some of us need to go. Because we see the pattern in Scripture is that we're not to huddle together and hoard our resources, material or personal. We have to go and get out there and share the gospel. So has the Lord put that on your heart? Is He working in your life? He says, you've got to get out of Canada. You've got to go somewhere else to share the gospel. And it might be short term. It might be months at a time. It might be years. It might be the rest of your life. You might die overseas somewhere for the cause of Christ. You've got to go. Because that's the Great Commission. Do we all need to go to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth? No. James stayed in Jerusalem. The apostles were scattered abroad. Peter was an apostle to the Jews. Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. So you have to work with God and with your family to decide what is it that we are going to do. How are we going to go and where are we going to go? But we all need to go somewhere, somehow, for the cause of Christ. And we need to fulfill our mission together. Make disciples in our homes, in our city, in our country, to the ends of the earth. That's the first thing, go. And that's the longest of the three. Number two, we need to baptize. Baptize. Take a look at uh, verse 19, halfway through. So we are to go, make disciples of all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now there's so much I could say about baptism, but this is not a sermon about baptism. I'm not going to define it here or describe its biblical theology, which I'm prone to do, as you know. But the whole point is, baptism marks your union with Christ. You go under the water, you're united with Him in His death. You come out of the water, you're united with Him in His resurrection. That's why we believe that baptism is for believers. You go, and when you make a disciple, you baptize that new disciple. The point that I want to highlight this morning is that we need to be baptizing new believers. Our, our priority, our goal as a church needs to be new converts. The strategy for most churches in Canada today is to grow their numbers by transfer growth. And we've been blessed by some good transfer growth. We're glad if you've transferred into this church appropriately from from another church we especially are glad when you've moved into the city and you're looking for a biblically based church to come there are good reasons for christians to transfer from one church to another and i'm not going to address them here And, and we're going to welcome that kind of growth and we need that kind of growth we need some help we're not yet at a critical mass where we have enough hands to do all of the work however long term that's not how we want to grow Long term, we don't want want to grow by taking people from other churches. We want new converts. We want people to be added to our number day by day because they've been saved. Because we went. And we proclaimed. And some believed. And they became disciples. And so we did number two of, of the mission. 
we baptize. And when we baptize them, we bring them into fellowship with Christ. And if into fellowship with Christ, into fellowship with us. Can we as a church get excited about a mission that exhorts us to grow this local church, to grow South Shore Bible Church through the conversion of new believers? Because you know what that's going to require, right? It means the preaching of the word isn't going to grow this church, not alone. Not from the pulpit. The preaching of the word, yes, but as we go. You're going to have to preach the word. You are going to have to share the gospel. You are the missionary for this local church. So each one of us needs to begin to think seriously about how am I helping this local church to grow with new converts? We haven't had that many baptisms in the last three years. We've had some, praise God, but not many. So the mission for you and for me and for us is to go and to make converts so that we can baptize them into fellowship here at South Shore. Can you get excited about that? Do you know the work that it requires of you? That there's a calling on your life? You cannot just sit back and hope the church grows. It's up to you. And when I say you, I mean you, singular. I'm, I'm talking to every one of us. None of us can say, whoa, I dodged that one. It's, it's you. No, you, meaning me too. You. Be a missionary for this church. And until we are excited by, until we are driven by, and until we are chasing after, hungry for new believers, we will not be obedient in our mission to baptize disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are not fulfilling the Great Commission by adding to our number transfer Christians. So let us get busy proclaiming the gospel. Once we've gone, once there's been new converts and we've baptized them, the third part of our mission is to teach. Take a look at verse 20. You are to teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Teach what? Teach what? You know, this is not a silly question because Evidence would suggest, data that's out there, would suggest that local churches don't really know necessarily what to teach. Book study? Heaven is for real? Five love languages? The wealthy barber? Like, what do we teach? Jesus is very clear. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. What is that? It's the Bible. This is our curriculum. This is what we teach. Our focus is on the Bible. We teach the Bible. We don't just talk about the Bible because there's, some, there's uh, some who would teach the Bible, but they would really just talk about the Bible. You know, let's jump off the Bible here and talk about what I really want to talk about. I'm not just talking about the Bible. We get into the Bible. We, we talk about the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. This is what the book means. 
And once we know what the Bible means, and we say this is what we need to do, and, and we're not at liberty to change it. I didn't write the Bible. I, I, I can't change what the Bible says. My job is not to make the Bible more palatable for our culture. My, Bible, my job is to teach the Bible, and that's your job too. We are going to teach all that God has commanded us by teaching the Bible. And this shows us that evangelism and teaching ministries are not opposed to one another. This is another inclination that's very popular. We're a seeker church. We're not a teaching church. Or, we're a teaching church. We're not a seeker church. I don't like the word seeker, but we are an evangelizing church. We are a church that goes. And we are a church that teaches. Because when we go and we proclaim the gospel, we're going to give the basics, right? We're going to give the basis for salvation. And once we baptize that new believer, we need to teach them. We need to help them to grow up. We need to have something to call people to. Come and be a part of this. And so we teach. And part of our teaching is the doing. We do what the Bible says. Learning all that Jesus has commanded is a lifelong journey. So we will be teaching the Bible until we die. And we will be learning the Bible until we die. No one has come to the end of learning the Bible. And no one has come to the end of teaching the Bible. So we teach and we learn and we grow and we teach and we learn and we grow and we go and we proclaim and we baptize and we teach and we learn and we grow and we go and we baptize and we teach and we go and we baptize and we teach. You see, it's not complicated, but it never ends. It never ends. Take another look at our ministry structure. You will see five columns based on the two verses of Scripture that I said, Acts 1-8, missions, and then Acts 2-42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer and worship. So you'll see that that second column of one-fifth of what we do that undergirds everything, actually, is teaching. We are a teaching church Next week, we're going to focus on the rest of Acts 2.42, our other ministries. But notice that according to the Great Commission, teaching and missions go together. So in our teaching ministries, we've divided into four groups. We teach our men, we teach our women, we teach our youth, and we teach our children. Right now, our men are in front line, and we are teaching 42 of 66 books of the Bible between now and the end of January. It's big picture stuff, showing how it all fits together. If you're a man, it's not uh, obligatory that you go to these, to these um, uh, opportunities, but my question is, why not? Why not come and learn the Bible? Now, I, seasons of life, I understand that. So it may not be the time for you, but I just want you to know that that's what we're doing. We are teaching the Bible in fulfillment of the Great Commission, and we're starting tonight in the book of Genesis. I'm teaching the entire book of Genesis tonight. Why am I doing that? Because Jesus has told me to do that. Our women, uh, we have started Women of Wisdom. We meet on Wednesday nights and Thursday mornings. You get to pick one or the other. 
What are we doing? We are training our older women how to study the Bible so that they will be equipped to disciple our younger women. So if you're an older woman, uh, woman, it would be great to have you there. We have, I think, 20 of you signed up, and you look at we're not a very big church. That's, that's pretty good. It's not too late, though. If you've missed the first one, we've had one. It's not too late. If you would like to be a part of that, and again, I, I guess you don't have to, but my question would be, why not? I hope, I hope that there's a reason, and it's not just that you don't feel like it, because if there's a reason, that's good and fine and okay. But come, learn how to study the Bible so that you can fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples. Our youth, we've divided our youth into junior high and senior high. Our junior high are learning all year long about apologetics, how to share their faith. Our senior high, we're coming up with a four-year plan so that by the end of high school, uh, hopefully all of our uh, youth will have a good handle on the Bible. And our children, our children's curriculum is Answers in Genesis. We go through the whole Bible. If you go through all of our children's ministry as a child, you will have touched on everything in the Bible. Do you see the intentionality here? But it's up to you to opt in. I can't learn this for you. I've, I, I'm already giving my life to learn it so that I can teach it. I can't learn it for you. I would love to teach you, and I would love to equip you to teach others. And, and so you have to opt in. We can only disciple you if you show up. And you can only disciple someone else if you've been discipled. It makes no sense at all to be a teacher before you're a learner. And, and your ability to go and proclaim the gospel is radically limited if you don't submit yourself to the teaching ministries of this local church. You will not be as effective as a missionary in this city if you don't opt in. I, I'm selling this pretty hard because this is what Jesus wants us to do. He didn't say, you know, go back to your life do a little more fishing, and if the opportunity happens upon you in your boat, I hope you'll remember me and talk about me. This, that's not what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want you to lay down your nets. I want you to go. Proclaim the gospel. Make disciples, and when you've made a disciple, baptize that disciple, and once you've baptized that disciple, teach that disciple. Be fruitful, multiply yourself, take over the world. That's why we exist. We have a wonderful church. We have, we have a much higher participation rate than almost any church I, I know of. So thank you. Do you want to know, I'm not complicated on this point. The one thing that frustrates me when it does happen is when you don't show up. And I would like to think that that's not coming from the flesh, my flesh. That that is a holy frustration that comes as a shepherd, a minister of the gospel, trying to equip this church to be faithful 
to the commission that Jesus gave to us. And I want you to know, we do not just throw a bunch of options up there for you to choose from, which is a legitimate discipleship strategy, I think, necessary in bigger churches. So I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that's not what we do because we're a small church. Every opportunity that we offer you is intentional and fits within a bigger plan. And if you miss this step, we've moved on to step two and three, and you are by definition behind. Which means we will come back and get you once we've equipped enough people to come back and get you. But if you're going to be a member of this church, you have to show up. You have to participate in the ministry. It's a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Imagine if, if, if one of the 11 said, you know, I, I'm going to take a, a few months off. You see, there were people who took a few months off in the earthly ministry of Christ, and they weren't part of the 11. Crowds came and went. But Jesus worked with the people who showed up. And I want, I want you to understand my heart here. I want this because I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm giving my life as best I can to fulfill the Great Commission. But I can't do it without you. I need you. And not just me, but we, the elders, need you. And... The Lord Jesus Christ needs us because he's chosen to work through us. So, seasons of life come, and I, I understand that. It's really important you hear that. You can't do everything. Uh, that's true. But I want to make sure that the reason you're opting out is, is because of a season of life or something that actually makes it impossible or not wise you to participate I don't want to burn you out don't want anyone to overcommit in their lives but sit down with your family think about your priorities if you're a great commission family figure out how you're going to make that work as part of this local church what's the mission of the church we need to go we need to go into our families. We need to go into the city. We need to go perhaps somewhere else in this country. Some of us are going to get called out of this country. If you're called to go, let us help to discern that with you, and then we can bless you. We need to proclaim as we go, and when we make a disciple, we need to baptize that disciple. And then we need to teach them everything that God has commanded. Is that a mission worth getting excited for? Are you in? I hope so. I'm in. I, I am all in. I hope you will be too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to be a Great Commission church. You've promised that you will be with us always to the end of the age, that we do this not in our own strength, but in your power. 
So empower us to go and to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Uh, empower us to disciple people, to baptize new disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would help us to teach all that you've commanded us. More than all of this, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would minister excitement to this cause. Let us band together as a small but powerful army in the cause of Christ to take over the world not with guns and violence but with love in the gospel and let it start here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.